0: Hello and welcome to the Fully Delighted Podcast. We are from South Mountain Community Church, a multi site church with five locations
1: in Utah. Each week, we will be hearing from our lead pastor, Paul Roby, and others as we explore what it means to be fully delighted in God and how we help as many people as possible experience this at SMCC. This is the Fully Delighted Podcast.
0: Hello and welcome to the Fully Delighted podcast. My name is Adam Jones and I serve as the Campus Support Team Director and uh, with me, I say, as, as usual, pretty much always, is Eric Nelson here next to me, our our pastor of teaching and ministry, yep. uh, so good to have you here, Eric. Thanks, Adam. Thanks to the listeners for
2: uh, for tuning in. We really um, love the feedback. We love having these conversations, so um, I'm really excited for part two of Adam Thompson's story.
0: Yeah, and before we get into it, just a quick reminder, I know that you guys hear this, and some of you are saying, hey, I've already done this, uh, but just for those that that haven't yet, thank you again for listening and subscribing, and especially leaving us a review uh, it helps us out a lot as people search for for our podcast. And then thank you for sharing this with a friend. Um, we know that there are people out there who would benefit from just hearing this and and, and hearing somebody else's experience. And so uh, th- we thank you guys in advance for, for doing that. You know, one quick thing. Um, someone yesterday asked me, uh, hey,
2: do you have people leaving the predominant religion of Utah and coming to SMCC? They're like, does that really even happen? And we were able to say, yep. we want you to go listen to this podcast because here, not only does it happen every Sunday, we have people kind enough to share their story on our mm-hmm. podcast. If you listen to that story, I think you will be uh, amazed and inspired by uh, by these stories that
0: that are happening here. So yep. we use this podcast in a lot of ways. Yeah, it's super helpful and it's fun, and it is cool because I know that I have people that I've even grew, grown up with, and they're like, "So is it really? You know what you say? Where there there are you know definitely people coming out of." The prominent religion and coming, you know, to SMCC and finding hope in the gospel. I'm like, yeah, that that really. That's not just something that we say and we're like, oh, it happens every so often. Mm-hmm. Actually, it does happen. Yeah, so. sure does. All right, so we've got Adam Thompson here for a part two, uh, which we've never had before. Uh, but uh, we get to kind of continue and pick up where we left off from last week, and where did where did we leave off from last week? Just so that everybody's on the same page. <laughs> it's here. a bit like a, it's a bit like a movie unfolding. Like you know, when you get s- tired
2: in a movie because it's too late, and you got to pause it, and you come back the next day. I mean, that's kind of where we're at. So. I like to say, say, you left off getting raided by the police. I mean, yep. what a moment to leave off. I, I yeah. think our listeners have been waiting seven days to hear what happened next. So. <laughs> well, I'm very excited to talk about what happened next. So Adam, yeah, pick up the story there. Sure. Uh, if you missed part one, go back and listen to it, because mm-hmm. it'll frame up the story for you well, and uh, what it was like for Adam growing up in the LDS Church. And uh, at this point in time, uh, Adam would be the first to say he was a, a full-on addict and yep. is uh, at a home where uh, addiction is happening on a regular basis. Get us cop to speed.
1: What happened next, man? Sure. Yeah, so we got raided by the cops, which was a crazy experience. Um, And, uh, yeah, I think the last thing I I mentioned was my wife and I just knew knew that we needed to get out of there. Um, And so we moved out, uh, I guess, within two months of that happening. We got engaged, and um, we were attending South Mountain at the time. um, And the raid was really only the beginning of what would end up being like the most tumultuous two years Mm -hmm. of my life. Um, You know, in hindsight, very rewarding, but still the most complicated uh, two years that I can think of. Uh, This is a very interesting period of my life because even though I was attending South Mountain, it wasn't really the end of the story. Mm -hmm. You know, a lot of times with this Mm -hmm. podcast, it's, you know, I was living this way and then I found South Mountain and and that kind of thing. Mm -hmm. But I haven't come to South Mountain for 10 years, um, and so... You know there, there's so much more to it than that, and so, and things I probably would have never even thought of, you know, five years ago that have impacted me now. Um, so yeah, uh, I had been regularly using Adderall, which is an ADHD medication. Uh, it's an amphetamine. It's essentially a medical grade speed in a lot of ways. They give it to children, so that's weird, but, mm. <laughs> um, yeah. So the very first time that um, I ever took that, I stayed it for like two days um and i was hooked immediately i have kind of an addictive personality but i ended up taking it every day after that so i mean it's a typical story of feeling like you can do anything first time i took it i was at work and i just crushed it you know it was one of those things and then, I, then i'd have like conversations with people and you feel like you're getting really deep and uh yeah it's a it's a drug that tends to make you feel very euphoric um and that you can just stay up for days and days and days and, and do whatever you want um I already talked too much and uh Adderall uh definitely exasperated that. Mm. I, I would just I was probably very annoying at the time. <laughs> um so at the time too I was in a men's group uh, with a few guys here uh who either were married recently or were soon to be married. Um, led by our friend Rick Merrill. Mm-hmm. Um and that was a, a good a good group to be a part of. And so while I was attending church, I, I don't know that I would say that I was actually a Christian at that point, mm-hmm. um, I think for the most part I was just focused on what wasn't Mormonism. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think I could have probably ended up in any belief system as long as it would allow me an opportunity to oppose the church, mm-hmm. the Mormon church, mm-hmm. um, and i found as many avenues as I could to try to do that. Um, You know, I, like, prayed that Mormons would show up on my doorstep, that that missionaries would show up so that, you know, I could just lay into them, because I, you know, I had been reading the CES letter, uh, the Church Education System letter from, I forget the gentleman's name who wrote it, but uh, super dense, um, you know, questions uh, for the Church, and I was super interested in that, and I was just, like, sort of, like, loading ammunition, you Mm -hmm. know, that I could use against Mormons if I had the opportunity to. But again, I didn't have a relationship with Jesus. Mm Um, uh, and, and and the things I struggled with when it came to Mormonism, I didn't really talk about this last time, but it didn't really have much to do with Joseph Smith. I know for a lot of people they have issues with Joseph Smith, the person. Um, and, and while that is certainly true for me, um, I didn't really feel like going after him in those conversations would really go anywhere. Um, I was interested in the theology of it, um, the theological differences, mm-hmm. you know, biblically, who God is, and then from the Mormon perspective, who God is, and how they're very different. Um which we can get into a little bit later, but, um, um, but yeah, those are the types of things I was interested in. I'd stay up, stay up for days on Adderall, uh, just driving myself crazy because I'd be up for days and days at a time. So Adam, uh, real, real quick, yeah. Sorry to interrupt. I just, um, I think it's interesting. I want to
2: highlight this. Did you think it was weird, or maybe our listeners might think it's weird that you have somebody that's addicted to Adderall in a Bible study at church? I mean, that's yeah. that. It, I think a lot of people would go. Is that common? Like, is that, aren't you, if you're in a Bible study, aren't you supposed to be like this holy type of individual? Like, right. so at SMCC, we honor the process that God changed people from the inside out. So that's messy. That means there are people with hurts, habits, and hang hangups uh, serving in certain capacities on teams, in groups, and studies. Did you feel like you were welcomed at SMCC in the midst of your struggle? Did you hide your struggle? Like, what, uh, tell me about that process. Did yeah. you feel like it was honored at SMCC? Your struggle, your story was. Uh, was a part of your story, and you were honored, you know, the, the process was honored um, as you were here? What was that like?
1: Um, I have hit it very well, or at least it, I okay. felt like I hit it very well. Um, I, yeah, I would I would come to Bible studies, and I would be high, you know, and then there were times when I would serve on the worship team, and I would be high, and actually preferred that, just because, you know, it feels good. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, so I, I tried to keep it as secret as I possibly could, both in church relationships and in my marriage okay um, but I, but I was asked essentially because uh, it came out mm-hmm. um, at one point um, I was asked to sort of be honest about it mm-hmm. and um, I, I ended up apologizing to everybody in my men's group because I had been lying down about a lot of different things and um, so and, and that was honored you know mm-hmm. in that way you know mm-hmm. because of that. And and my recovery was obviously very honored, mm-hmm. uh, you know. I, I felt very supported in that. But got it, cool, thanks. Yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah, essentially, this was a, a period of time where I weaponized Christianity. It was how can I, you know, know as much about biblical Christianity, you know, non-denominational Christianity, none, you know, only Bible-believing stuff that I could that I could use against, you know, at the time, which was my enemy, which was the Mormon Church, because I, I think I would have thought at the time I wasn't bitter about anything. But I totally was. Like, I, I was living in it, and especially, you know, kind of going crazy while, you know, using drugs, like, that just made it all so much worse. All I wanted to do was just destroy the church. Mm-hmm. Like, I was, I was, but I was using this, oh, I'm helping people kind of a, a way of doing it. I was thinking, you know, I'm going to reach as many Mormons as I can, and uh, while that's noble, my motivation was definitely, you know, to tear it down. mm mm-hmm. Um, and I don't think that's, that's helpful at all. Um, but yeah, uh, my wife and I ended up getting married, uh, August 6th, 2012. Paul Roby uh, was the officiant there. Um, and my wife says, well, I, I, I thought that marriage would solve my problems. Um, I was like, I'm going to get married and I'm going to stop using, you know, I'm going to get a job. I was unemployed at the time and I'm going to, you know, I'm going to become a good Christian man. It's all going to happen. Um, but that didn't happen. Uh, my wife has put it this way: that marriage doesn't solve your problems; it shines a spotlight on them, mm. um, which can break it can break you in half if you're not ready for that. You know, because sometimes skeletons start coming out of the closet that you didn't know were there. And mm-hmm. you know, can you can you hang with that person for the rest of your life after knowing some of those things? Um, so, I didn't have a job, um, and I would steal my wife's money, and I would spend it on pills, weed and cigarettes and it's really difficult to keep that hidden for a long time so it didn't really take long before this may my wife started to notice that money was just gone you know she'd have like cash laying around for different things and i would take it um and i would use it um and it was money that she was making to earn so that we could pay rent you know and and buy groceries um and it was ultimately fueling my drug habit at the time um so she ended up finding out exactly what was going on, and it initially, you know, gave me insane amounts of of grace, hoping that I could get things sorted out. But I didn't. Um, I would get caught stealing money, um, or she would notice that I was she would notice that I was high, um, and be able to tell. Amphetamines tend to um, make your pupils really large, and so it was pretty easy to tell if if I was on drugs. I had so many tactics I would use to try to hide it. I would. Make sure to not i would make sure to be in as well lit an area as possible, and I would stare into light bulbs so that my eyes would dilate so they or or they would the the pupil size would would reduce and and i mean it's just living in that tension always yeah. um because I wanted to be high as often as I possibly could um um but it you know it, that can only go on for so long um so my life was just chaos um lying to everybody um I I would get caught in lies, you know, cause I would lie to let's say this person and I would lie to my wife about a similar thing. But if those two people were in the same room together, there's a chance I'm going to get exposed. And so I was constantly living in this fear of being found out always. And it was so terrifying. Um, it was, it was, it was again kind of what I talked about last time was just living this double life. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, I had sort of just found a new way to do that. Um, but yeah, that was that was a tough time. Um, they happened over and over again. And one day she she said, "If I found out that you are stealing from me again, uh, you are going to go down to the rescue mission downtown, which is a um, Christian organization that that helps homeless people and people who have addiction issues." Um, and I had served there several times, and so I knew exactly what it was, and thought I don't want anything to do with that you know, I don't want to end up there. I'm not like those people. Being one of those people is something I'll discuss later. But um, yeah, that was that was a deal for me. I was like, all right, cool. I won't do it ever again. But of course it did. Uh, I don't think it was even a week later. Um, she had found out that I had stolen some money and I had bought some drugs with it. And so, you know, that was that. Um, I packed a bag and she dropped me off at the rescue mission. And I went into the building and I I needed help. This was December of 2012. It was a few days before Christmas, and it was freezing outside. Um, and I think about my wife even dropping me off and how hard that must have been for her because, you know, we're both, you know, in a really difficult situation. But um, they didn't have any room at the rescue at the mission. They gave me alternative options. There were some other shelters I could have gone to. But again, I, I walked out of there going, well, I'm not like these people. I'm just in a tough spot, mm-hmm. you know. I'm not an addict, you know. You know, I'm not like them. Um, I, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just struggling right now. I just need something to help me get out of this. I ended up walking away and made the plan to initially guilt my wife into picking me up because there wasn't any room, um, and uh, she responded to one of my messages by saying find a park bench somewhere, you know, go, go sleep under a table at a McDonald's somewhere wow. that's open 24 hours. So she was hardcore. Um, but obviously that could not have been easy, you know? And and so I, I know that was a very difficult time for her. Um, but I made the decision to walk to my brother's apartment. He lived in Cottonwood Heights. And so this several hours of walking in the freezing cold. Um, and uh, I have a, I have a history of self-harm. Um, I would cut, when I was in high school, but it wasn't, I didn't like doing that because if people saw it, it was pretty clear that you were doing something and I didn't want people to know. And so I, I resulted, I would punch myself like in the side of the head Mm -hmm. because no one could tell that way, but I would do it. It was almost this odd release uh, that I would feel, you know, feeling something. And, uh, I, I definitely engaged with that, um, on my walk to my brother's apartment. Um, I started punching myself in the eye, my right eye. this is where I sound crazy, but um yeah, I was i I did it over and over and over again. I don't even know dozens of times mm-hmm. uh, until the point that I noticed that my eye had swollen shut, like I couldn't see out of it anymore, and yeah, it felt it felt good it was it's so strange, but it was almost like I wanted to inflict physical pain on myself that would be equal to the emotional pain my wife is experiencing. Uh, I felt like I deserved that, and uh, yeah, it took me, I'd say maybe three or four hours to finally get to my my brother's house, um, all the while I'm plotting ways to get drugs or, you know, blame, you know, guilt my wife into, you know, look at what happened to me out here, it's your fault, you know, addiction tends to put you in a place where you're just blaming everybody for why you're in the position that you're in, even though it's your own fault, um I ended up getting to my brother's house and walking in the door and he looked looked like he'd seen a ghost and I'm sure it's because i I looked like hell but i uh, I walked into the bathroom and i and I was able to for the first time see what I looked like and it was like good mm. I was happy about it uh, in fact, it could have been worse you know I would have preferred it would have been worse you know one of those things but i I walked out of the 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 bathroom and I was just so embarrassed because I didn't have an explanation. I've tried reaching out to my brother to ask him what I said to him about it. He thought that my wife did it, which is funny, but um, but I guess not unreasonable because right. what else would have happened? It's crazier that I would have done it to myself, um, which was an awkward conversation I had to tell so many people after all of this. Um, but I, yeah, I ended up lying to him and saying that my wife was there to pick me up. And so uh, I left and I walked to my parents' house, who lived maybe twenty minutes away, twenty minute walk. And that is the moment that I spoke to God for real for the first time. Hmm. What'd you say? What'd you say to God? I, uh, I mean, do you remember? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I had reached the end of myself, and I thought, I I'd rather be I'd rather freeze to death out here then have to deal with any of this anymore mm-hmm. and so essentially I asked God like to do something with my life or just take it because mm-hmm. mm-hmm. I uh, I was destroying the lives of the people that I cared the most about mm-hmm. in profound ways mm-hmm. <laughs> so yeah that that was that was my Rock bottom. Like I don't think it never got worse than that. Thank God. But um, yeah, I I would have rather been dead in the street than hmm. have to deal with any of that. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I ended up to uh, getting to my parents' house and uh, falling asleep on the couch in the basement, and that's essentially where my recovery begins. Wow. Point, yeah. Wow. And I've heard this part of your story
2: before. You snuck into your parents' house. Mm-hmm. They didn't know you were there. You went in, and and then so you wake up the next day. Yeah. And uh, that, you said, is the beginning of you deciding to get help. and yep. So, um, I mean, just kind of give us the highlights of getting help. Where, where did you find help? What, uh, what changed inside of you? Um, I, I think people are really interested to know, how do you get out of rock bottom? I mean, every, a lot of people have a rock bottom story, you know, uh, in some form or fashion. Yeah. Yours is, uh, is, is um, man, difficult.
1: Yeah, well, it took a while. For me to... Addiction is funny because you start to rationalize and justify things. And so I slipped up here and there for the first couple of months, and my wife and I separated. Okay. Um, and so I ended up living with my parents. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, we separated for about six months. Um, but in that time, I I was still smoking weed, I just wasn't going to touch the other stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, that's the justification. I was like, well, I'll do this one thing and I won't do that. Um, but that can only, I mean, marijuana, you know, we can argue if it's beneficial or it's not beneficial. But for me, it was not a good thing. Mm-hmm. I was addicted to it just like I was addicted to everything else. Um, it was a way to escape and, and feel better than I did. Um but ultimately what ended up happening is i i did um april 25th 2013 is my sobriety date wow um so it's been uh, over 7 years mm-hmm. but i um i was white knuckling it at that point mm. i was just you know hanging on for dear life that i wouldn't do something stupid mm-hmm. you know yeah. and I, and and i did steal money here and there and that you know and 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 i would use it for different things i never purchased drugs but Um, A lot of these same behaviors of hiding and escaping and running away and all that kind of stuff were still very much there. And it's actually only within the last few years that I've actually gotten over a lot of that stuff. It's still a problem. Mm -hmm. Um, But I ended up um, going to celebrate recovery. Mm -hmm. Um, And initially my wife dragged me there, which doesn't work. Uh, I didn't want to be there. (laughs) I didn't think, again, I was one of those people. But um, So we went the one time and then never really thought about it again. And uh, I continued to pursue my sobriety alone. Mm. You know, and I didn't know too many people who struggled like I did, um, at least not that we're talking about it here at South mountain. Um, and so one day um, our friends, Jack and Stephanie Lyon, who moved here from Oregon, wanted to kind of breathe new life into the celebrate recovery ministry. They're, they've been into NCR out in Oregon for a long time. And so they came out here and they needed a team and I uh you know, I was the token drug addict here at the church, you know, so you know, and I was in recovery at the time and so um and I was a musician and so they they asked me if I would participate in in worship and, and be the worship leader for it. Um and yeah, it's it's through the Celebrate Recovery Ministry that, that wow. I, I was able to get sober here. Yeah.
2: Now I think there's some interesting themes uh in your story that I just wanna unpack because they're themes for all of us and drug use is sort of um was the byproduct of some of these themes for you. And and there's two themes that I think uh, connect with me, although my byproduct was different than yours, but uh, it's the byproduct of a double life and people-pleasing. When those things are ingrained deep inside of us, um, it can produce a ton of things in our lives to get people to like us, and then we hide this other part of us. So can you sort of unpack some of those themes? And Uh, And because I know from your uh, religious journey that those themes emerged in a religious context, Mm -hmm. right? Um, And I would imagine that for you to heal, you had to address some of those deep issues uh, as well. Um, Is there anything that you'd like to say to those themes or where they came from or how you've approached them?
1: Um, Well, I mean, growing up Mormon, for me, there was... You know, I had talked about it last time, but you know, I, I, most of the things I did were to get people to be pleased with what I was doing, um, and it felt good to to have that, especially from people I respected most, like my father and my parents. Um, and I think the you know that theme of trying to do things that made everybody happy with me just you know is is what I still struggle with now. Right. Um, but in recovery. Um, in, in Celebrate Recovery, you're able to find what the origin story to that is. Mm-hmm. Like, where does that start? Um, and it is it's it is because of my journey into my past mm-hmm. that I was able to kind of look into a lot of those right. things. Right. Um, and it's through the 12-step program and different things like that where I can really identify where it all started. Mm-hmm. Um, and there are several events, and I talked about a few of them last time. Yeah. yeah.
2: So, you know, I have a drive to be... Uh, successful there's a drive deep inside of me and i think for me it didn't arise in a religious context it uh it arise it it kind of arose in me through competitive sports as a child i played uh, very competitive hockey for you know most of my early early years and uh and that put this pressure to perform inside of me and uh that's part of my origin story you know so you said origin story what is an origin story because i think for listeners it would be wise
1: for them to think about their origin-type stories. Right. Well, um, Celebrate Recovery talks a lot about, um, essentially, your your tendency to do the wrong thing mm-hmm. and, and that kind of stuff, and we all have that. Um, and it's my belief, and I think Celebrate Recovery talks about this a lot, is that that all comes from somewhere. Mm-hmm. And to identify and pinpoint when that change occurred is one of the most important things anybody can do. Mm. Um, and so, yeah, the origin story is actually something that my, uh, a friend of mine who was doing the Celebrate Recovery um, 12 steps with at one point said something like, oh, so it's like finding the origin story for everything. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I don't think I've heard it put a better way. So I sort of just hijacked yeah. that and now I use that a lot yeah. because I think that it all comes back to something.
2: Yeah, and I think for many, many people who grew up in a religious setting, it, that is a key part. The religious nature of your upbringing is a key part of your origin story. So, for you, uh, growing up LDS is a huge part of your origin story. How right. did that, l- and we've kind of talked about with people pleasing, but how did that ultimately lead to, lead to, in some ways, the rock bottom moment? Or, you know, how did growing up LDS, uh, you know, sort of author right. <laughs> your origin story, so to speak?
1: Yeah, well, I was always trying to get people's attention. And um, when I was using. I would buy drugs. I would I would spend all of my money on drugs, and I would give it to my friends mm. so that they would do drugs with me mm-hmm. because I didn't want to do it alone. Mm. Um, and uh, that's uh, you know that's a big part of what made it worse. Mm. Um, and, you know, try to include as many people in it as possible. And then people will be like, "It's Tuesday at mm-hmm. three. It's three o'clock on a Tuesday. You want to do drugs right now?" Mm. And I'd be like, "Yeah, you don't. Like, mm. of course." Um, and then eventually I felt very alone, mm. and so I would I would do it all by myself. Mm. Um, but yeah, there's, there's definitely a people-pleasing nature in it, um, and then once the addiction took hold of me, it was only for myself. Mm. You know, I didn't have anything to do with anybody else. Um, it's probably the most self-centered I've ever been mm. at that, that point. But
2: So yeah. we're in this series at church called Substitute, and we're talking about the things that we substitute in our lives for that which we truly desire, mm-hmm. and so for you... Uh, you substituted, you know, drugs and substances in for uh, to get from other people the thing that you desired, and for me it was it, it's different, you know. And um, you know, I reflect about this quite often, and it's something I, I do to keep myself in check. But uh, you know, when you're a pastor, when you're so to speak a professional Christian, and that's not how I view it, but you mm-hmm. know, it, in some ways that is what what is you know. Uh, there's some th- <laughs> I think that describes sometimes what what happens, and um. Uh, the substitute in is, well, just as you use drugs to get people to a- applaud you and be around you and with you, sometimes pastors um, use the message of the gospel or hope or whatever to get people to applaud them and be around them. And um, man, I want to pay careful attention to the substitute in my life yeah. for those things, just as you're describing the substitute in your life yeah. for those things. So anyways. Um, so you begin to go to CR, you you begin to take your steps towards sobriety. Um, what else do you want listeners to know about your story, man?
1: Yeah, well, um, Celebrate Recovery, I think, is the most integral part of my journey. And uh, I'd recommend anybody, regardless of if you have an addiction or not, to go. Um, and go through the 12-step program there, because I would say... Even when I was most definitely one of those people, oh, I'm not one of those people. Mm-hmm. You tend to, you know, lump in a lot of people who go to a, a recovery programs and with, you know, with the addicts and stuff like that. Well, that's the simple stuff because you know, mm-hmm. those people can identify the, you know, the physical issue, you know, that they have a problem with, while, you know, regular people who don't struggle with addiction issues to a substance. Like you're saying, there's something that you're substituting. Yeah, fear of failure, addicted to
2: uh, applause of people, Mm -hmm. you know, all that is all at play in Celebrate Recovery.
1: Well, and a part of my journey in Celebrate Recovery is identifying that, yes, I am a recovering drug addict, and it's perpetual. I'm always in recovery. That never goes away. I am way better at handling any desire to use drugs or abuse anything, really, um, now than I was, you know, seven years ago. Mm. But it'll never go away. Mm. It's always there, and I always need to pay attention to it because mm. things happen. And, and out of nowhere, in the first couple of years of my sobriety, I would have this overwhelming urge to use drugs. Mm. And a tool that I used was just to sh- say it mm. as loudly as I could. If my wife was in the room, I'd be like, I'm thinking about using drugs right now because as mm. soon as it becomes a secret, it'll burrow its way into your mind. Mm. Mm. And then that's what they call a... um Um, uh, uh, forgetting exactly, but like a mental relapse Mm. Mm. where you've already relapsed in your mind. Mm. That's when you start planning when you're going to do the thing that you've said you won't do anymore. Wow. You start start plotting it out. You start Mm. planning things. Oh, they're going to be out of town in a few days. Okay. Mm. Well, who do I know who can do this for me and that stuff? There's money over here. yeah. 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 Exactly. So as soon as trust started getting more... Uh, re-established in my marriage, mm-hmm. I found it, I, I, that would happen all the time. Wow. Yeah, and I would I would always be thinking that. But the point I'm trying to make here is that I'm also in recovery from Mormonism, mm-hmm. always. Mm-hmm. That's not going away. And and that hasn't been more clear to me than in, than in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. that I haven't been a member of the LDS Church for 12 years, but it still haunts me. Mm. There there are still things about the Mormon Church and my experience in the Church that come up that I would have never thought about mm. if certain things hadn't triggered old memories. Wow. And every single time I've gone through the 12 steps, and I've gone through them three different times, every time the Mormon Church in general at large, mm. the teachings within the Church um, are a part of my my amends list. Man. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As you, I want to hear about one or two of the things that creep back
2: in 12 years later into your brain that could yeah. cause a bit of a mental relapse. And maybe while you think about that, I want to describe something uh, from my own life. I said on Sunday, we were talking about sexuality. I talked about how pornography can be a substitute uh, for for love. It's an artificial substitute for, for love. And I walked through what porn does to people and what it does to people's brains. And I said, uh, I call it porn brain, and I've had to heal from that. And uh, like you were saying, you know, you've know, you been clean and sober for a number of years. I, I like to say I've been clean and sober uh, with that struggle uh, since my early, early 20s, so going on, going on 14, 15 years. Mm. But like you were you were saying, uh, you know, I've never thought to call myself, you know, an addict in recovery or whatever. Um, but that's probably pretty close to the situation. Is that at any point this thing um, is is in my life? And and so I kind of think of it in terms of being clean and sober, um, yeah. because when you've gone down that path, and for me it began in middle school and lasted, you know, to my early twenties. And so when you have ten years of is that ten years? Probably not. Ten years necessarily. <laughs> um, that is uh, something that you have to pay careful attention to. So when you think of relapsing, when it comes to the thoughts or teachings of Mormonism, mm-hmm. uh, that is a very compelling way to talk about this. Yeah. Because I th- I've met so many people in the lobby who they've gone to SMCC eight years. I meet them after a service and their eyes are wide or they're they they had been crying and it's like what what it's like. That thing just re-triggered this thought, and my mind went here, and I hadn't thought about that in years, and it just came back. Any examples of that?
1: Uh, yeah, last year I had uh, a full-blown panic attack because we were gonna we were doing the parent-child dedication for our son, and I. It makes me emotional even thinking about it now. But I was I was pulled back to my baptism, mm-hmm. and all the thoughts of. Why am I? You know, I didn't think this at the time, but you know, in retrospect, thinking like, why did I do that? Mm. You know, I just did this thing, and I committed to something religious because people around me wanted me to do it. And every part of how I want to raise my son, and and my wife is pregnant, so all of our children, um, is I want them to just make that choice because they want to. Like, I want to be as I want to be as influential as possible, but I want. Them to make that choice because they truly want it. Mm. And so putting myself in a situation where I'm going to essentially commit that I will raise my child to be a Christian freaked me out mm. because, you know, in all honesty, I don't know that that's exactly what I want. Mm. Like, I want my child to grow up to be self sufficient mm-hmm. and make that choice by themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, if they end up, be, you know, if, if my son Oscar is a Christian as he gets older, like, fantastic, you know, because you want the people who you love to like the things that you like, you know, but if he doesn't, my my love for him and and my support of him does not hinge on his love for Jesus, mm-hmm. and so that freaked me out. Mm-hmm. That, that was a very um, impactful experience, and I never would have thought it would have happened again, mm-hmm. and so it just was a, a reminder that well, essentially, we backed out of doing it. We, we were going to go that Sunday morning and, and do the parent-child dedications, and I backed out because I couldn't handle those, the pressure mm-hmm. and yeah. the anxiety.
2: No, you're, you're talking about something that's interesting. Um, of course, we make commitments in our lives, and we need to honor those commitments. And at SMCC, uh, you know, when you say yes to leadership, there's commitments there. It's how communities function. We're going to commit to these values. You can count on me. Now, because uh, other religious context, and the Mormon Church has commitments. When people smell a commitment at SMCC coming on, or they're asked to make a commitment, and they have these sort of uh, experiences in the LDS Church where there were commitments, or in any church there were commitments, now you're like put into the same sort of feelings again. Like, they are asking me for a commitment, this is moving way too fast, and and, uh, quite often that uh, it's not wrong to make a commitment. It's not wrong of SMCC or on any team to say, I, you can count on me. Can I count on you? That's right. that's how healthy relationships work. But when it happens inside the four walls of a church, uh, that can feel very... Um, oh, it just takes people back to, to their yeah. Mormonism, takes them back to an origin story that was painful. And... It's very hard for us to have these conversations with people when it comes to a commitment like, hey, you know, you're going to be a small group leader. We need to count on you. And it's like, whoa, 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 whoa. You can't say that or yeah. you can't do that. And this is one of our challenges as a church in this culture because of the way uh, a commitment can be perceived in a spiritual community. Sure. Yeah. So... Um, do you want to say anything about leadership when it comes to this type of uh, thing? You know, when it comes to leading, or because you were in a, you were on in the worship team, yeah. and these these things come up. You know.
1: Yeah. Um, I music being a part of the, the music ministry here is one of my favorite things ever to do. Yeah. You play drums this weekend. I play you drums. Play yeah. great. Yeah. Uh, that's cool. uh, thanks. Mm-hmm. And it's it's genuinely one of the only things I'm like decent at in life, and so I really <laughs> love being able to do that. Um, but it's also you know when I think about motivations, mm-hmm. man, is that tricky, mm. you know? And this is essentially my biggest faith struggle is this, mm. is, um, not necessarily just in leadership, but if you're a Christian and you have any influence, you sort of toe this line of where one, you're saved mm-hmm. through grace. Um, But it matters what you do Mm -hmm. in this life. Mm -hmm. You know, so you sort of, if you're in a leadership position, it can be really difficult to say, I'm going to perform the best I possibly can, Mm -hmm. but I'm also doing this to reach people and show people who Jesus is. But man, is it hard to do that, to navigate that, inside of a Christian church. It's a paradox, yeah. The way that I see it. Because eternally you're saved and you're good. You know, if Mm -hmm. you've accepted Jesus, you know, it's good. You know, the the works you do will be byproducts of that, right? But it still matters what you do. And so it's 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 a complicated thing. And that's what I struggle with the most. And that's honestly I'm going off a little bit here, but that's my biggest issue with the with with Mormonism. Mm. It's because that makes sense to me. Mm. The works part of it. Mm-hmm. I It would make more sense to me if I had to do specific things in order to earn my way to heaven or whatever wow. you want to call it. That makes more sense because that's how the world operates. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Everything is based on that. If you want to gain the, you know, if you want people to respect you, well, you have to be respectable. Mm-hmm. You know, if you want to have certain, if you want to be successful in something, it requires work. hmm and so it, it's 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 complicated to separate that yeah. and look at grace in its entirety mm-hmm. and go well it doesn't really matter there it's a byproduct and you you know love of Jesus will sort of you know bring about good works though yeah. it's not required but Part of me sometimes wishes it was.
2: The the subtle nuance between working for something and working from something is incredibly important to talk about. But the line there is like, I think as I said that, it's one word. Yeah. It's, the, it's, the, it's not one word, excuse me. It's one letter. It's the letter M, working for and working from, okay? <laughs> this one letter, yeah. and yet the implications are massive. Now, we did a series called Paradox, and a paradox is when two things seem to be opposing each other, but upon further investigation are actually aligned with each other. Mm-hmm. And this is the paradox of the gospel. Versus religion, because right. it's really the ordering of these concepts, working forward, working, working from. Yes. So, that's so interesting. So, Adam, as we kind of come to the end of our conversation, what, what do you want maybe listeners to know? Uh, maybe listeners who uh, would say uh, Mormonism is a part of their origin story. What would you want maybe a listener who attends SMCC to know? Is there uh, about Mormonism or about your story? Anything you want to say that we haven't that you haven't said yet, man?
1: Uh, yeah, I'm, 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 I guess I'm talking to people who are leaving Mormonism, um, and that's, I've had a few experiences over the last 10 years that I look back with regret on, and how I, how I acted, um, as somebody who's left the church, um, and now to be more specific, I was bitter, um, resentful, and I wanted to destroy the church, and that was my motivation at the time um, two, two things, I guess. One was my baptism. I got baptism, uh, baptized by Ben Roby in 2014, and I invited my parents to come, um, and, uh, it was a very big day for me, and, um, they, they sort of broadcast your testimony during a baptism, which is a really moving experience, um, but essentially my testimony was I grew up in a, cult and, you know, whatever. And, 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 and religion sort of ruined me. Um, and I invited my parents to come and participate in that. And, uh, when I got out of the water and I went to hug them, I can just remember the look on their face was just from my perspective at the time, just utter disappointment Mm -hmm. in my decision to be baptized. That's what I, I viewed it as that they were so disappointed. That you know, I this is where my life ended up. Mm-hmm. Um, but I look back on that man, and I, in retrospect, I, I cringe because I humiliated them mm-hmm. because I brought them to a place where they weren't familiar around a bunch of people they don't know, and then they're going to hear a story about how they put me into something that damaged me, mm-hmm. and then go up and hug them in celebration. Like that's not going to work, mm-hmm. and and so there's just. There's just, there, there are lots of things like that that I did growing up, or, or in my later years after leaving the church that I definitely wish I would have been more, mm-hmm. I would have thought through a little bit more, mm-hmm. been more sensitive to Mormons, um, because I just, I guess that the message I'm trying to say is that what can look like disappointment can be fear or mm-hmm. um, humiliation,
0: mm-hmm. you know,
1: um, and so it's... And the love that we need to have for current members of the church, you know, that's so important.
2: And I appreciate you saying that. Um, I think a lot of churches and pastors um, forget the importance of sensitivity when it comes to reaching um, yeah. or serving or connecting with people from that, that religious, religious background. And mm-hmm. so at SMCC, I love hearing people say that because it reminds us of the significance of sensitivity in our approach to ministry, um, in Utah. Yeah, man, what a great reminder. You said there were two things. Was there something else that you wanted to mention, or it's slipping from my mind? Okay.
1: Uh. <laughs> it's yeah. Like I can't remember what it was, but there there have been a lot of things like yeah. that where I'm like, man. I... Oh no, I remember. I'm so sorry. So they came to my testimony at uh, Celebrate Recovery.
2: Okay. Mm.
1: Essentially the same story though. Wow. Well, like yeah. I I asked them to come to this story where you know to to hear me share my story and my traumatic experience mm-hmm. inside of the organization that they mm. put me in and they you know they uh, as far as i can remember they kind of got out of there pretty fast yeah and i don't blame them you know right. at the time i'm like i was so sad i was like mm. i can't believe that they don't want to hang out with me here mm. with all these people mm. that just heard mm. <laughs> my story and so essentially it's the same story but you know i look i look back on that i'm just i feel so terrible well, that i put them through that
2: you know i'm seeing this interesting connection here you talked about parent child dedication with oscar yeah. and your emotions around that and, and you've also talked a lot about your emotions around your relationship with your parents. Mm-hmm. And these two things sort of come together. It's like, this is how I was parented, but this is how I want to parent. Yeah. But there's so many emotions as I look up to how I was parented, as I look up in years to my yeah. parents, and I'm looking down towards Oscar, I'm looking down towards my kids saying, how do I want to parent them? Yeah. That is There's a, so much that's kind of overwhelming in all of that. Like, yeah. um, so I appreciate you sort of drawing out those those connections here. Mm, yeah. Um if you were to say, Hey, this is what I value about SMCC. This is what I appreciate about this place in
1: Utah. Um, just curious what, you know, what would you say? Um, well, community is probably the most important thing for me. Um, you can find that anywhere, Mm -hmm. you know, but what has been valuable in my experience at South mountain is that it's been for the most part, a community of people who are genuinely interested in my growth. Mm -hmm. Um, and I've been in communities where that wasn't the case. So I know the difference. Mm -hmm. And, um, and yeah, I mean, I think that you can go to any church and you can you can find community, and that's a great thing. But being a part, my personal experience here, I've had I've had great friendships and people who genuinely want to invest in me, and see me me grow and and uh, overcome a lot of things. And man, there've been people who have been here for my entire journey. You know, they they you know walked me through the worst parts of my addiction all the way through, you know where I am now, which is rather complicated in the story for another time but um but yeah i care very much about the people that attend south mountain and that's kind of my commitment to yeah. churches is, is the people i
2: love you i love hearing you say that i think people who have been here longer than a year or two would, would say that i think when people initially come the things that they leave talking about are the music or the kids ministry or the message or the series yeah. but um i was just talking to my wife about this like the great music is awesome i mean we love that and we talk about the significance of that in our podcast but um that's not what's going to uh, maybe keep somebody coming or keep somebody connecting mm-hmm. beyond a certain length of time. Uh, the thing that does that, that leads to the growth that you've talked about, is this culture mm-hmm. among, among people who call this place home and the culture. Now, of course, the music and the message and the kids' ministry, it's all a part of the culture. It all mm-hmm. comes together. But, but really, um, if you're not in community... You might find yourself waking up on a Sunday and saying, "Well, I've heard that great music a hundred times now, or I've heard this, you know, message." It's like I don't think I'll go, but if you are connected to the community, mm-hmm. I'm convinced that's where uh, so much of the life change really yeah. happens.
1: Well, I think that ultimately the the way that the message can be conveyed, you know, from the stage and through the people who attend here to people who are transitioning out of Mormonism or whatever, um, is how important clarity mm-hmm. and discernment. Mm. Because, yeah, the music is great, but you can get caught up in the music mm-hmm. alone. You know, that doesn't even need to be lyrics. You can just sit there and, and be moved by the music itself, and that can be from somebody sensitive to manipulation can have a hard time there. Mm-hmm. And so that's why the community is important, so that those right. c- discussions can happen. Yeah. And you and can it, talk about that kind of stuff. And
2: especially if you're sensitive to the manipulation, this is part of the nuance of understanding uh, SMCC is saying, I know the heart behind the people planning the music. I know the heart behind... I'm in community and relationship with the people preparing the messages. Manipulation is the last thing on their mind. In fact, they do things to guard against the emotional manipulation. Now, if you're a skeptic and a cynic at heart like me, and maybe even like you, Adam, um, you can sit back and say, they're just doing that because. But once you get to know them, you go, oh, they're not just doing that. Be- the reason they're doing that is because they want to honor God, and make Him famous, and connect with people. like yeah. that. They want to help. That's They are for this culture. They are for people like you and me. Right. And now I can join this community and create this for more and more people. Yeah.
1: Well, it's so good to see people learning how to not assume the motivations. And right. it can be so easy to do that when you come in here and you see the big lights and you see the band playing and it's like you can really assume a lot of really terrible things that are going on. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, you can take that concept of not assuming that and you can apply it to the band and you can apply it to your relationships and everything. And that's probably one of the single best lessons I've learned Mm. is not to assume the motivations, especially not from an organization because it's a lot of moving parts.
2: Back to your parents being at your baptism, you sort of assumed the look on their face was one thing and it wasn't. Yep. Man, if there's a takeaway for me from this conversation, it's, uh, to ask questions about motivation, mm-hmm. even in my own life, rather than assume the motivation. So, Adam, thank you so much for coming on the show, man, and, Thanks for and having sharing
0: me. your story in two parts. Adam Jones, anything else? No, I'm just thankful that uh, Adam Thompson was here today and able to, to share and uh, give people some perspective. and. Uh, just glad that uh, we have this platform to share with people. So again, uh, listeners, thank you for, for being here today with us and for, for checking this out. And so appreciate all that you guys are doing to help uh, allow more people to hear uh, these stories. And we're we're really excited about just the, the content that we can provide people with and the stories. And, um, and we're excited for what's to come. So stay subscribed, keep downloading, keep sharing with people. And uh, we really do appreciate that. Thanks for joining us. And we will see you again next time.
1: Thanks again for joining us for the Fully Delighted podcast. If you enjoyed what you heard today, please subscribe, give us a rating, or share with a friend. For more information about SMCC, please visit our website at smccutah.org. Thanks again for trusting us with your time, and we hope to have you back again soon.